on the next Baywatch. A motorcycle accident. A drug deal. Where's the package? And a daring rescue. Where did she come from? Potalix in the line of fire. We're going to take a deep breath. Stay away. Come on, Bill. Get in on the action. <laughs> on the next Baywatch. Danny, I've been calling you all day and this is where you've been? Playing cards with a bunch of old ladies at the beach? But Josh, it's the finals of the senior bridge tournament. Lena had a cold and she needed me to fill in for her. Bridge? Seriously? Danny, we have a podcast to record. I know, I know. But my cell phone ran out of minutes and I couldn't call you back. It's 1999 after all. Welcome to Hot Red Shorts, a gay watch of Baywatch. Two gay guys watching Baywatch one episode at a time, more or less at random. I'm Josh. I'm Denny. And today we will be talking about Baywatch Season 9, Episode 9. Teen. 19. You're right. No wonder <laughs> I kept getting that wrong. Double Jeopardy. Do you ever see the movie Double Jeopardy? You ever hear something called Double Jeopardy, Fifth Amendment to the Constitution? Of course. We've even talked about it on this podcast. It's one of my favorites. It came out in September of 1999. So a few months after this episode aired, I was 18 years old, just about to graduate from high school, and I was in my frosted tips and fucking around phase, which extended throughout 1999 into the early 2000s. And Double Jeopardy is one of the first movies I can remember seeing completely stoned. I was 13. I was about to graduate middle school. All right. So you, weren't, <laughs> you probably weren't having as much fun as I was, but... We go to see Double Jeopardy. The theater is packed because it's the old days and people used to go to the movies. And I am on the edge of my seat the entire film. It was basically like I was by myself, the sort of vocal reactions that I was giving. Every single moment of suspense, I gasped. I cheered and I almost clapped at the end, but I'm pretty sure I had sobered up a little by then. That's the one with uh, what's her face? Diane Lane? No. No. Try again. Ashley Judd. Ashley Judd, the Under the Tuscan Sun. Right? I guess. I'm not a big <laughs> Ashley Judd person, but it also stars Tommy Lee Jones, okay. who we, we can't mistake for anybody. But yes, 1999. And as, as we made it clear, Denny was a young one and I was pretty young too, but on my way to adulthood, getting up. Seems like you were pretty adultish. Well, yes. After an entire lifetime of doing the right thing and being. A nice boy. Uh, the spring of 1999, the end of my senior year of high school, I kind of threw caution to the wind. I met a whole new group of friends. I was getting my hair dyed. I was smoking cigarettes. I was cursing. It was, uh, it was a bad scene. So, funny story. Between high school and middle school, like, I had a whole, I had a bowl cut, like, pretty much all growing up. But before I went to high school, my sister made me cut my hair. She's like, you will get made fun of. They're all gonna laugh at you! It was the best thing she ever did for me. So I cut my hair. We even got, like, a frosted hair kit. I didn't use it. Ah. But I got the haircut, and I, I think it really helped me out. Oh, wow. What sort of cut did you have? Do you remember? Probably some sort of spiky thing. Oh, yeah, definitely spikes in the front. I look kind of like the Statue of Liberty. Oh. <laughs> I assume you mean her torch. 
No, like how she has the crown. Oh, <laughs> I was thinking her swoop back, no. but all right. Well, very good. Uh, it sounds like uh, this is finally one of those times where both of us can remember a little bit of what was happening in our lives way back when in April of 1999. But what else was happening in the world at large to try to, again, ground us in that period of time? On April 6th, 1999, the musical Mamma Mia debuted. Um, huge... It's a huge movie with everyone's mom. I assume yours. My mom loves Mamma Mia, at least the movie. And um, it has run basically uninterrupted other than for COVID since then. I only saw parts of the movie uh, with uh, Meryl Streep. Yes. Uh, I couldn't get through it once I heard Pierce Brosnan sing. That like kind of did it for me. I'm like, I don't care anymore. I tried watching it because I love musicals and I love Meryl, but... I would have rather just listened to ABBA songs. Yeah, I love ABBA. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. Love ABBA's music. Just that musical just, I don't know, didn't do it for me. No. Again, it's for moms, but it started way back when. On April 7th, Baywatch-related news, Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra announced that finally they had agreed to end their short-lived, ill-fated marriage. And we had mentioned this before on a previous episode, but they got married in November of 1998. So nine months before now and they got married very quickly in vegas and only nine days later rodman filed for annulment claiming that he was of unsound mind when they got married which carmen electra would later give an interview to people magazine where she said quote it's easy to get caught up in a moment you think it's romantic but then you realize god we did it in vegas it's like getting a cheeseburger at a fast food restaurant end quote did he get down on one knee? No. <laughs> he didn't do any of that? No, no. He asked me if I wanted to get married, and I said yes, and he said, okay, get dressed, let's go. Was there any part of you that was like, what are we doing? It's 7 o'clock in the morning, we're in we Vegas. We both kind of said that to each other in the car on the way. So the couple inexplicably reconciled, though, after this, and then they celebrated New Year's together. Four months after that, they completely ended their marriage. Amicable differences, and... Then, just a couple months later, in November of 99, they would both be arrested for domestic dispute of some kind. Wow. And according to defense attorney Roy Black, the couple started arguing, and things got out of hand. They were arguing over some silly matter that was on MTV. Somehow, the yelling and what have you spilled out into the hotel lobby. And needless to say, when you have two well-known celebrities like this, everybody's immediately on their cell phones. Somebody calls the police, and of course, it escalates from there. Yeah, quite the messy couple. So, was that like, I wonder, the shortest marriage at that period? Because I think Britney Spears kind of like took the record after that. I am sure if we were to look into it, there are plenty of marriages that lasted a few hours, let alone a few days. But as far as big ones go, that was big news. And especially because, I don't know if you remember or not, but Rodman was a, he was a character. Yes. I remember the, with the wedding dress thing at the he, autograph signing or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. He showed up a very, very large black man with a very distinctive face to be kind uh, in a very gorgeous dress. He looked good. And he cross-dressed a number of times and uh, really pushed the boundaries back then. I loved him in Demolition Man. Uh, the movie with Sylvester Stallone? That wasn't Dennis Rodman, Denny. Was that... Who was that? That was Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes, Denny. God damn it! Moving on, Denny. <laughs> I'm going to just drink my drink and shut up. Very good. On April 12th, 1999, we've talked about President Clinton a few times. And 
on April 12th, he was cited for contempt of court for giving intentionally false statements in a sexual harassment civil lawsuit. But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false, and I need to go back to work for the American people. Thank you. Ultimately, he would get off more or less scot-free, and it would be no big deal. Millions of dollars wasted, endless time taken, countless stupid late-night jokes, but the world turns and we end up in the same place. Was this before or after the blowjob? This was after. This is a result oh. of all the oh, Monica okay. stuff. So, again, back to Baywatch, April 15th, 1999. Pamela Anderson, one of our favorites. She was in the first season of VIP. She confirmed that she had her breast implants removed. Mm. Quote, I don't know what happened. I think after having children and nursing, I felt like I was Dolly Parton for the longest time, and I thought, I just want my natural body back. Don't make End fun quote. of Dolly. I don't think she was making fun of Dolly other than saying... I mean, Pam was a very well, well-known, big-breasted blonde. Who's the other one? Dolly. So, and quite frankly, I think uh, comparing the two of them is a good thing. I like them both quite a bit. But I'm pretty sure that she was still quite a buxom beauty, as we both remember. I mean, we just saw the first episode of VIP, and she seemed to have large breasts. Ample bosom, yes. Um, I'm not sure exactly when she did it, whether it was during the filming, but I know what she looked like after. I'm pretty sure she had implants put back in. But hey, it's her body. She can do whatever she wants. Now, finally, uh, as far as the news goes for 1999, April, bad news, but turning point. And I think this is one of those moments that I can point to with my overall thesis with Baywatch is that it's really, it's an encapsulation of a period of time. It represents like an era. April 20th, Columbine occurred, Mm. which was basically a massacre. Not going to bother talking about the the young men that were involved, but two students at the Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado. They uh, marched in with a plan and uh, multiple guns and explosives. Uh, Inevitably, 13 people were killed, including them, and 24 others were injured. And this basically opened the door to the crazy world we find ourselves in now. It was the first really big school shooting I can certainly remember, and I... I was very thankful that my high school days were ending because things changed quite a bit after that. I remember uh, in middle school, like towards the end, all boys were made to tuck in their shirts. So it would, you wouldn't be able to like tuck a gun into your shorts. You couldn't conceal anything. I wouldn't say that I was like one of the most popular guys, but I was friends with everybody. And that saved me from some bullying, but it also gave me a window into some of the shitty things people say about one another. And... And there were a number of unliked people that started to dress in sort of a particular fashion and even started calling themselves the Trenchcoat Mafia. And so Columbine was happening right before we graduated. Lots of stuff going on. Those kids got quite a bit of hell over it. Um, Enough of that. That was then. And and again, showing how things changed. Just a few more things back from 99 to get us in the mood. Let's talk about television. The highest rated TV show was... Baywatch in the world, but not on American television. No, the highest rated television show for this week was 
The first part of a TV movie about Noah's Ark that starred Angelina Jolie's father, John Voight. Okay. <laughs> 1999 was a weird time. NBC and Hallmark Entertainment present Go and Find Dry Land. An epic motion picture event. It was the end of the world and the beginning of hope. Noah's Ark, NBC Sunday at 9, 8 central. Don't miss the boat. But uh, right behind it was ER, Frasier, and Friends. A more boring and bland night of television I don't know if you could find. Yeah, I was going to say, because by season nine, I think Baywatch's viewership was starting to dwindle. Absolutely, because the retool. To, yeah. And in fact, a few episodes before the one we watched, they had gone to Australia, mm. which was, you know, we've talked about that before. But we were just watching some music videos and uh, getting ourselves in the mood. And we're going to head back to MTV this time. TRL is where it's at. Exactly. And the top song on TRL for the week of April 26th, 1999, was I Drive Myself Crazy by NSYNC. Oh. I love that song, but one of my group of friends from back then was a music aficionado, Calvin. And he was able to always find the coolest mixes of anything. And really, at that period of time, I only wanted remixes of everything. And there is a particular remix of that song that I had from like a Japanese single that they that was a thing imports you know that I think it was Rip Rock and Ready were the was the name of the remix I've never been able to find that song in the digital era I search for it every so often it's really good you have it burned on a CD somewhere maybe but god knows where my CD collection is so also on the TRL charts aside from Insync everyone's favorite we had Corn with Freak on a Leash yes Big for everybody. 98 Degrees, another boy band with The Hardest Thing. I don't remember how that one goes. I'm not going to sing it, but this is why we have headphones. It's kind of funny that you brought up corn, because I remember this one kid in school always wore a corn t-shirt. I didn't know what it was. Until, like, I was in high school, I realized, oh, it's a freaking band. Oh, he just had the logo. Well, no, it, like, had corn, and, like, it was, like, a, an album cover, but, like, I didn't know. Was it the sort of, was it, like, sepia tone, like, all brown? It's yeah. like a little girl at yes. the edge of a... Yes, 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 yes. That was, um, yeah, that was the same, the same era. Mm. But 98 Degrees, the hardest thing. I was a huge 98 Degrees fan, and my first boyfriend kind of looked like Nick Lachey, so... Mm. Anything? No. I, did, I only, I think I really... Only remember one 98 degree song. That's it's they they weren't really hit makers, yeah. I would say. Or at least not anything they, to really be. I remember they tried to like catch up to like the same popularity as NSYNC or Backstreet Boys, they just never could quite get there. No, no. Though I will say the Lachey boys got a lot of play in the reality era, the early yes. reality era. So. Uh, especially Nick with uh marrying Jessica Simpson. Yes, Bumblebee Tuna and all of that. <laughs> uh, but also on the charts, TLC with no scrubs. You certainly oh, remember that. Yes. Yeah, that was a huge song. And finally, rocketing back from the 80s, since we were just in the 80s with our last episode of Baywatch, Jordan Knight from New Kids on the Block debuted Give It To Me. Mm. You say it's been too long Since you had some Just say I turn you on I remember his pretty blue eyes. Oh, he was beautiful. Isn't he the one that came out of the closet? I think he was like the youngest one. No. The, young, the youngest one came out of the closet. No, the youngest one was the little guy with the curly hair. I'm pretty sure Jordan Knight came out of the closet. You remember this? I remember the song. I didn't know who sang it. Jordan Knight. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
JC Chazé, uh, you know, from NSYNC, yeah. in the next few years would try to come out with his own hit. It was, the boy band era was waning, mm -hmm. and uh, as we just watched with the Blink-182 video that lampooned them, they were on their way out, so these guys were starting to look at other avenues. At the box office, movies in 1999. The number one movie in the country, April 1999, was The Matrix, which had opened just five weeks before. Unfortunately, no one can be told what The Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. I did not see it in theaters. Wow, it just missed you entirely? I actually didn't see any of The Matrix movies till the second one. Oh. And then I saw the first one much later. I guess you were a little bit younger. Yeah. I can recall they did a media blitz, not just a movie. I, I wasn't watching much television, but I read a hell of a lot of comic books back then. And there was a particular ad, and they didn't show you anything of the movie. It was just, what is The Matrix? And I couldn't wait to see it. So my father and my brother and I went to go see it, and our minds were blown. I'm sure we talked about it for hours afterwards. I mean, it was the thing that everyone talked about. Yeah, it and changed I always, everything. And I always felt left out because I had no idea what people were talking about. Going back to the topical news that we talked about, at the time they were trying to tie the Matrix and its gun violence and also the outfits mm. in with Columbine. And so there was a lot of uh, right. hullabaloo at the mm. time. But anyway, some other movies near the top of the box office at the time, maybe some things that you actually did see. Never Been Kissed. Josie Geller, you enroll in high school. Love that movie. With Drew Barrymore. I've never actually seen it. Oh, the teacher Coleman, he was so hot. Oh, well, we'll have to watch it one night. You know, you never saw it? No. Oh my God, this is one movie I've seen that you haven't. Definitely, we're gonna watch it. Not just one because I haven't seen this movie either. Ten things I hate about you. What? I was eighteen, and so high school movies were not as appealing to me at the time. Oh my God, Heath Ledger singing Frankie Valli. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you where it's at. I have seen that clip. Okay. <laughs> but one of my all-time favorite movies that was quite formative in my life, especially when I was 18, Go. So what are you up to tonight? We're going to this party tonight, this warehouse thing. Some sort of rave thing. Is this going to be cool? Yeah, I guess. I have not seen that, but I saw the trailer. We are going you showed it to me. Yes, and I've sworn we will watch it, but we have to be in the right state of mind like on mushrooms well something and uh <laughs> but uh in particular of that film i mean it has a whole bunch of people one of the best soundtracks of the era and it has an incredibly hot timothy oliphant playing a scumbag drug dealer who's shirtless most of the movie at this point it's probably more into scott wolf well he's there too yes <laughs> so but uh it was a good time for smart movies for young people to be honest because besides what we mentioned above also out in 1999 election Varsity Blues, Cruel Intentions. Cruel Intentions, yeah, absolutely. American Pie. I didn't see that till a little bit later. And She's All That. Slightly, like, out of theaters, yes. Okay, well, what about this? It, it, it opened the weekend that this episode of Baywatch aired. It was a freaky-deaky video game movie starring Jude Law and Jennifer Jason Lee. Existence. In the not-too-distant future... Never heard of it. Really? Really. You might like this. You are a big video game guy. It's sort of a body horror type of movie. In order was it, to, uh, um, what's his, the Cronenberg? Cronenberg. Yes, it was. And in order to play this video game, Existence, you actually have to have a biological port built onto your body. Actually, I did see this. I did see this at uh, our friend Tom's. Oh. Yes. Th 
Tom will actually come up briefly. Yeah. But for now, let's get to our Baywatch basics for this episode. A very small cast for this episode, which we actually saw before in another season nine episode, Dolphin Quest, when it was basically Mitch, Alex, and Cody, and nobody else. This time... Same thing, pretty much. Yeah, right? We have Mitch Buchanan, David Hasselhoff, doing his daddy best this time. His son, Hobie Two, is here, Jeremy Jackson. Very Hobie-heavy epi- uh, episode. Yes, it was, and that's not a bad thing this time. He was... By the way, Jer- Jeremy Jackson was 18 and a half when this episode aired, so that'll be important later. We have Lieutenant Alex Riker is back, who I adore. She is played by Mitzi... Capture. Mitzi Capture? Yes. Fucking love that name. Well, our friend Tom is a huge USA Network fan, but particularly Silk Stockings, and that's where she's from. She played Rita Lance on 101 episodes of that show. She was the main character? Yep. Shut up. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And it seems like she maybe brought some of that experience to this episode, but we'll get to that. And uh, the first time we are meeting the infamous... Neely Capshaw, and this is actually the third actress to play Neely, so this is Neely three. When did Neely start showing up? What season? Good question. Because like, she seems kind of infamous, but like, I don't know anything about her. It's weird that she plays such a prominent role in a couple of the storylines that we've dealt with, but we have yet to see her until now. <laughs> and even in this episode, we really don't get much of her. Yeah, there's, there's like a lot of backstory that we're not aware of with like what's going, the machinations. Now, she actually first appeared in season five. Wow. Yeah, so, and she was actually off and on, especially near, I think, season eight. She sort of just appeared here or there. But um, this is the third actress, and this is not the Neely I know. I know Neely, too. That's the one I'm familiar with, and she's in season six. So, crazy. So, this is Neely three? This is Neely three. Okay. Played by an actress, Jennifer Lynn Campbell. And she did a whole bunch of things, but only the only thing notable that I could really notice... She was on three episodes of Seinfeld as one of Jerry's many, 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 many temporary girlfriends. And she's the one that dumped Jerry after she mistakenly thought he was picking his nose in his car. And then he was just scratching. Ah. So my dad would quote that all the time. Don't you think I know the difference between a pick and a scratch? Now we have some guest stars, but we'll get to them as they they appear, I think. And uh, one last thing about behind the scenes. And again, we only talk about the production every so often when it's really notable or have the time to look into it or I notice something. The writers of this episode are actually twin brothers named Chad and Carrie Hayes. And they're notable because they wrote 10 episodes of Baywatch Nights. Oh. And they created the Conjuring series of movies. So they're probably sitting pretty right now. Wow, yeah, they kind of got really famous. Yeah, so, but particularly notable, the director of this episode... Parker Stevenson. Shut up. Lawyer lifeguard? Yes. Craig Pomeroy himself. That's great. Directed this episode. And in the Baywatch book that I have, that I refer to from time to time, uh, they talk about how Parker was interested in no longer really being in front of the camera. He wanted to direct. And I think uh, I think actually, as Baywatchy as this episode is, there are a couple shots and scenes that are like, oh, that's actually directed pretty well. Um at least from my novice you know, knowledge. But anyway, that's everything. And uh, now let's get into our episode proper, Baywatch, Season 9, Episode 19, Double Jeopardy. Without Ashley Judd. It's called Double Jeopardy. I learned a few things in prison. Well, there's tension 
already between father and son of the Buchanan household as Mitch and Hobie too find themselves falling over each other. Mitch is back from a night on the town with his latest blonde thing. Carrie. Carrie, yes. And while he's ready to close the deal, the romance is interrupted because Hobie too... Dad. And his date... Are necking on the couch. Well, they're resting, as they call it. But yes, so Hobie pops up unexpectedly. Hobie. Starts having a conversation with Mitch and Carrie when the girl, his girl, his blonde, pops up out of nowhere. Hi, Mr. Buchanan. Dad, Carrie, this is Kate. You know, I think we need to bring the term necking back. It's not used anymore. As an aside, let's let's go to the side. <laughs> I always had a problem with that term myself because do you spend that much time on the neck when you are in flagrante? A little bit. Like, yeah. not like a good amount, but I still like the term necking. Okay. There are plenty of phrases and terms that we use that are not necessarily exact to their uh, specific meaning, so I think that's okay. Uh, As our aside happens, Mitch and Hobie have a aside. Excuse me a minute. Could I talk to you for a second? Excuse me. Yes. Themselves. Because this situation cannot stand. They both are throbbing, probably, respectively, and they have got to figure the situation Hobie out. Probably more so. You would think so, being a young man, uh, you know... I'm Mitch the... probably needs to, like, pop a blue pill, maybe. There were no blue pill popping back then, and besides that, Mitch, we know, is a very healthy, <laughs> virile man that is uh, in no need of assistance. But, yes, Mitch and Hobie have a little powwow in the corner, and they argue about what to do. Mitch... Hobie... I'm sorry, I was going to say, Mitch suggests a double date. What? I don't want to double with my dad. Who wants to go on a double date with their father? Certainly not Hobie. And he makes it very clear, no, this isn't going to work. He'd rather just take his friend back to his room. And no way. Mitch is apparently a Puritan. Dad, it's the 90s. I don't care if it's the millennium. It's not going to happen. Fine. But also, Hobie is an adult at this point. He is turned 18, as he lets us know. We'll later find out he's already graduated high school. And we know the actor, Jeremy Jackson, 18 and a half by this point. But Mitch is the father, and he lays the law down. But it's the 90s. Everyone was having sex in the 90s. I don't care if it's the new millennium. (laughs) As they opine to one another and... As they bicker back and forth, the ladies know that this scene is not a good one. And they peace out. Exactly. They've never met, but they're fast friends. And Carrie is going to give Hobie's friend a ride home, I guess. Oh, I didn't catch that, but that's nice. Yeah, they seem to have an instant rapport. And Mitch and Hobie are just left with their dicks in their hands as we go to our opening credits, where we're teased with Cody's Blue Speedo. And then J.D. and his black speedo. But they don't show up at all in this episode. No. It's a crime. I mean, Cody Ugh. gets mentioned, but... I think J.D. It. gets mentioned, too. And they tease it with, like, a really big aspect of, like, their relationship. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get Ooh. there. So uh, this is where we see the German title of our episode, which we know the official title is Double Jeopardy, which, quite frankly, doesn't make sense. But the German title, Der Mann mit der Schuschwund, which translates to The Man with the Bullet Wound. Oh, that makes more sense. Than Double Jeopardy, I I would say so. But enough at the Buchanan household. It's a new day, and we're at Baywatch headquarters, and Hobie, too, is making his way into the office. But he's got to grab something from his car first, which is a good thing that he did, because the world's worst car thief (laughs) is busy trying to break into a car. The car, by the way, 
seem to be a Mitsubishi 3000 GT in forest green. I, I liked those cars back then. So I did not pay attention because it's cars and it's not a naked man. Good point. But this criminal, he is attempting to break into this Mitsubishi with a huge Phillips screwdriver. And Hobie kind of like plays it cool. Like he kind of like sees what's going on, but like he doesn't let on that he knows. Because really, Hobie isn't entirely sure what's happening, but he does have training. He's now a lifeguard. Plus, he's been on Baywatch for nine years now. He knows to look out for suspicious things. And his father is Mitch Buchanan, the so he jack of all trades. Exactly. So he has a lot to live up to. And when Hobie approaches and confronts this guy, he's immediately attacked. Excuse me. Is this your car? Oh, yeah. You know, I just left the keys in it. <laughs> The criminal has got no time for nonsense or Hobie. And he takes off and he, he's able to grab a random bike from a couple that's sitting on the beach nearby and speeds off with Hobie right behind him with his own stolen bike. Yeah, he steals the other bike that was part of this couple. Who scream after him, but there's it's not much official do. Baywatch duty. He doesn't bother clearing that up because he doesn't have time. He has <laughs> to get after this scumbag, which it's kind of a cool little bike chase. It's something you don't see all the time. And uh, they're careening around the place. Everybody's jumping out of the way. And Hobie is able to get alongside and give him a donkey kick. Into a flower bed. <laughs> it was pretty pretty cute, actually. And the, the creep is up right away, ready to fight back. But who appears? Alex on her bike. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. To save the day. And he tries to steal her bike but she is not having any of that alex doesn't take any shit from any man let alone this guy so she like holds him as he's like in a chokehold yeah and then like hobie comes up and punches him out <laughs> like teamwork and hobie is quite thankful but alex is not phased at all this must happen to her all the time she has things to do she says i hope you have a good day i'll call it in don't worry about it and leaves hobie to do his business. You okay? No, my jaw's kind of sore. Should probably get some ice on that. What a way to start the workday. Hobie himself, he's not even faced by this because he's got bigger problems. He's got to tell his dad that he's moving out. Mm. He decides to meet Mitch at his tower, which I don't know. You, you That sort of conversation, you really want to have the high ground yourself. But what are you going to do? At least he's doing it in person, not over the phone. You couldn't really do it over the phone in That's the old true. days, especially if you lived together. But anyway, he has decided it is time to move out. He needs his own space. He needs to be his own man. And luckily, two of his buddies, they, they're ready for him to move in. J.D. and Cody. Was it J.D. and Cody? Yes. I'm like 95% sure it's J.D. and Cody. Okay, we're going to confirm right now. Anyway, JB and Connor have their own apartment, and I'm moving in with them. JB and Connor. Damn it, I was wrong. Well, they might be just as cute. Well, probably not. It would be very hard to approach the hotness of Cody But and why JD. would they do JB and Connor? It sounds so much like JD and Cody. You're asking why Baywatch did something that may not be the most thought out, Denny? Mm. This is our 24th well, episode. now that just, like, broke my heart. Because I thought JD and Cody lived together. That's You can still keep that in your mind. Maybe they do now. They do in my dreams. There you go. Now, Mitch is also pretty disappointed, though. Well, actually not. He is incredulous. He refuses to even accept that this is a possibility. Oh, you can't move out. 
you'd have less privacy with two guys. You, you know, how are you going to do this or that? Mitch is used to getting his way. And quite frankly, the, the crappy grin he has on his face is probably part of the reason his son is wanting to move out, mm. wanting to get out on his own. Yeah, but they're buddies, not a dad. But Hobie's made up his mind, like it's happening. Yeah, there's nothing Mitch can do. And his helpless look of concern, it tells us far more than the sudden sad piano in the background. Now it's time, finally, for the Hot Red Shorts debut of Neely. Mm. Yes, Neely 3. And uh, she is the complicated troublemaker that we have heard about before, who's involved in all sorts of wild things throughout her time on the show. But the worst that we've heard up to this point is how she helped break up Logan and Caroline. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But now, was she, like, they kind of hinted at it. Was she married to Mitch? At that time? Well, like, at any point. Yes. At some, we will find out later in this episode that at some point, Neely and Mitch were married. It was very brief, apparently, because Mitch... I guess, found out some things that were surprising. And we know that Neely has a daughter also, Ashley, who is mentioned a couple of times. And I think there may have even been a, some baby mama drama. Mm. Yeah, some Maury-related stuff. You know what I'm saying? Logan's baby? Well, it isn't Logan's baby, no. Wow. I, I, th I think it turns out to be just another guy's baby that we don't ever see. But, uh, but yes, we know that she's drama. Mm. And uh, here she is. She's meeting up with Alex, who is... You got no time for drama. You think these two wouldn't get along, but it's a professional relationship. Now she asked Alex something, and like I went back and like listened to it like five times. I could not understand what she was saying. Okay, if I TX with Cody tomorrow, Ashley's got a doctor's appointment. It was phrased really oddly. She asked if she could have if she, her and Cody could TX. TX transfer. I heard T up. TX. I'm like, what is T up? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's so it's so odd. It's, yeah. it's really strange to throw in that kind of jargon. No one has ever said I want to TX my shift to this other person right. on this show before, but that's what's happening. Okay. TX. And I, the context made it sound like that, but like I wasn't quite getting it. No, no, I was right there with you yeah. because I was like, what? What did she say? But TX. You know, maybe Neely is a pill, and uh, Alex is fine with it. Alex has no problem. Rubber stamp of approval. I mean, really, Alex doesn't care about work today. She has plans of her own. She's going to her grandma's birthday, her 90th. Uh, she's 93, believe it or not. Yes, exactly. And she's just going to take a bi bicycle ride up the Pacific Coast Highway <laughs> uh, to her grandmother's birthday. And her grandma sounds pretty fun. At 93, she's having a party, but she's also got plans to go with her boyfriend at the end of the party to Vegas. I mean, my grandma's what in her, you do. I guess my grandma's in her 80s. All and she that disposable do that. income. <laughs> that expository scene ending, we now see Alex making her way down a particularly poorly maintained section of road on her bicycle when she is nearly sideswiped by some mysterious douche on a silver motorcycle. Like, total asshole. Like, he went out of his way to, like, get to as close to her as possible. It was shitty. I mean, I've seen that sort of thing happen before with angry cars and bicycle riders, but I've never even considered that somebody would be that reckless on a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. And Alex is rightly pissed. I wonder if we'll ever see that masked rider again. Mm, I think it's a good bet. <laughs> well, the sour mood, it permeates all of Baywatch right now because we go to the water and a boat where we see a very irritable couple busy hatching no good plans. But the guy... So handsome. Yes, he is a very good looking man. This is Jason. 
This isn't gonna work, Jason. He has icy blue eyes, very tight, uh, nearly fat-free body, and uh, some shaggy hair with just the lightest dusting of blonde on the top. Unfortunately, he doesn't ever take a shirt off, but... But he is in a wetsuit for the entire episode, and it's not one of those full-body wetsuits. It's like a tank top style. He's got his arm exposed, but, like, you know, he doesn't have, like, ginormous arms, but it's still very nice. Good-looking guy, yeah. Very nice. This is Jason. He is played by a man named Spencer Rockford, and he has actually been in three other episodes of Baywatch, none of which we've watched yet, each time as a different character. This is his last appearance on Baywatch. But he appeared as, quote, second gay guy, end quote, in the movie Falling Down. Oh, I don't know that movie. Oh, Jesus. Come on, on, make your play, make your play. Would you just come on? I don't need this shit today. Falling Down is the movie where Michael Douglas is an angry office worker and he gets fired. And it's, there's like a heat wave in Los Angeles and he sort of makes a tear through the city, uh, doing all the things that an angry white man would want to do uh, to strike back at society. It's a good movie. Uh, Joel Schumacher, it's a lot of fun. Not like terrorist stuff, right? Well, I mean, he does terrorize a Korean shop owner. He does shoot a missile at, at a construction site. Okay, he he has a nervous breakdown. He's not necessarily a hero. Where does one get a fucking missile? We'll watch this one. Okay. <laughs> it's another good one. We have a long list. But uh, also about Spencer Rockford, just to bring it back to Alex, bring it back to our friend Tom, he appeared in an episode of Silk Stockings. Mm. So, and Jason, hot-ass Jason, he's here with a woman. Her name is Lisa, who is played by a woman named... Lisa Boyle, which, you know, makes it easy. And the only reason I really mention her is because she was also on Silk Stockings on two episodes. And then the most important thing about Lisa is her first credit is as the curl up and die dancer in Earth Girls Are Easy. Curl up and die dancer? Who would know what that even means? I think that might be the name of the salon. Okay. That Julie Brown owns and there's a whole musical number in the salon where they are doing the makeover for Gina Davis. Okay. So I'm pretty sure she's probably in that scene. I absolutely love that movie. So I would love to like try to find her in it. But Lisa doesn't matter because she doesn't really do much in this episode anyways. No, they're partners of some kind and they radio their partner, Ben, who it turns out is the shithead on the motorcycle from earlier. Whatever plans the three of them had, well, this couple is now changing them. They have some sort of weird deal worked out and they're ready to cut Ben out of it. They are up to no good. Exactly. And Ben... He is a man of technology, because even though he's riding his motorcycle, he's taking some sort of call in his head. Maybe it's just a radio. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm seeing something I think that's they not were there. on a, like a walkie-talkie. Ah, shit, you're right. It's probably shortwave or something. Yeah. But it doesn't matter, because this conversation, it takes Ben's attention off the road, and he nearly slams into a truck that is, some for some reason, uh, situated across the road. He peels off smashes through a wooden barrier and along with his motorcycle fly into the ocean. Like, I I will say 
these scenes, like, you don't even get a sense that they're even close to the ocean. No! So Not the ocean all. is just, like, kind of, like, randomly there. It reminds me of the scene in Jurassic Park where the T-Rex comes, smashes through the gate, and then when they pushes the car over back from where it Huge came, ledge. There's all of a sudden this huge cliff. Yeah, that's one of the... Oh, there it is. Biggest continuity problems yeah. <laughs> in that movie that even when I saw it for the first time as a kid, I was like, wait a minute. How the hell did that happen? I didn't notice it until like I like re- or watched this one video about like continuity uh, errors, and then like now that's all I see. Yeah, it's rough. That's rough. Anyways, <laughs> yes, back to back to Ben, who is now stuck in the water, conveniently right next to the boat that Lisa and Jason happen to be on. Yeah. So his bike sank to the bottom of the ocean, which doesn't seem that far. Really? No. But uh, yeah, so Jason and Lisa drive their boat up to Mr. Ben. And he tries to get up on the boat, and they're like, where is it? Where's the package? (laughs) What is it? We don't know yet. Some sort of mysterious package. But Jason just shoots him. And it looks like point-blank range, you'd assume right in the face. Nope. Yes, Ben is now shot. Things have escalated very quickly, (laughs) and uh, their partnership has gone south. Things are not good. Oh, I I do think he said it's on the bike. I think that Jason assumed that it's on the bike, and so now there is some sort of feeling, Lisa, let's get to that bike. We don't need him anymore. Exactly, which is, I guess, why they shot him. Mm -hmm. Luckily, again, luckily, Alex is close enough by that she's seen at least the motorcycle disturbance. I don't know how she could have. There's no way that she could have, unless she was able to somehow really turn up the speed on that bicycle. I think she saw the truck, and then she saw, like, the tire tracks of the motorcycle. And just investigated. And she just, like, kind of, like, did her sleuthing. Well, we know from her time on the police force and silk stockings, and then, you know, her Baywatch training, you have to encounter a lot of weird things, so it's worth checking out. And I have no idea what she thinks that she sees, but she sees something floating off in the distance and immediately jumps in the water. But by the time she reaches this thing, which is Ben, he's clutching his throat on the seafloor. He is now sunk to the bottom, and Jason and Lisa are also under the water with these little mini respirators now at the motorcycle, which I guess they're some distance apart, and plus it's under the water, you can't really see that far. And they retrieve a vial of some kind from the gas tank? I, yeah, it looked like it came from the gas tank. Yeah, yeah, it was some sort of like vial that perfectly fit in. Yeah, I'm not like too keen on like motorcycle anatomy, but <laughs> I think that was the gas tank where you fill it up from. That was my assumption as well. <laughs> I mean, they needed a key to open it, yeah. so um, they share a silent cheer of success, so whatever they found is what they are looking for. Once they're on their boat, they show this vial, and Jason says it's a designer drug of some kind. The latest designer drug. <laughs> Whatever gets you through the night. Is it euphoria? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Maybe From it is. From 90210. Look, Brandon, I just thought doing euphoria would bring us closer together. Well, you thought wrong, all right? You bought some strange drug from some strange guy and slipped it in my drink. All you got out of me was a chemical reaction. That's it. Well, it is Southern California. Exactly. It could all be connected. But regardless, it's very valuable. It's worth killing over, certainly. And... They quickly spot Alex and Ben in the distance bobbing along. Jason was sure everything's fine. He's going to sink and die and be eaten by sharks. We don't have to worry about him. But Lisa, she knows better, and she spies what's going on. And knowing they can't leave any witnesses behind, Jason starts firing wildly. 
as the boat cuts through the water. I mean, he w- obviously wasn't that good of a shot that he could take out somebody right. but four feet away. I don't know what he thinks he's going to be doing now. Yeah, Alex is trying to drag this guy to shore, and she's getting shot at. And then, like, they somehow reach this cave. Which... A- Alex is aware of a nearby cave system. And so she in- she lets Ben know, take a deep breath. We're going. But, like, there was no way from where they were at when that happened to where they end up in the cave it would have taken them at least 20 minutes to get there and i'm fairly certain that it is the octopus cave uh, (laughs) and also every other cave we've ever seen before but this one seemed a little bit more shallow there's a reason for that yeah (laughs) which we'll find out after our first commercial break the new fox tuesday an arresting night of comedy guess i'd better make bobby's lunch for the next two to five years. It's full-bodied. Style and comfort for the discriminating crotch. It's bold. Uh, who goes there? Not me. I went behind the dumpster. It's ahead of its time. Wait, you're Pamela Anderson. But I'm only doing this so people will take my head seriously as an actress. An all-new King of the Hill, all-new Futurama, and the PJs. The new Fox Tuesday starting at 8, 7 Central. Here's a fantasy come true. New Baja Gorditas with zesty pepper jack sauce and freshly made salsa. Just 99 cents each. Better grab one now. Hey, uh, hi there. Carson Daly here. Total Request Live next. Eminem retired. Who will take over his spot? You're going to have to stick around to find out. Plus, Catherine Zeta-Jones from the new movie Entrapment. We'll chat with her. Uh, and the rest of the top ten. It's a lovely day in New York. Dave Holmes out in Times Square. And your last-minute video votes at 800-DIAL-MTV. A few more minutes. You, me, and my funky shirt on TRL next. Jason seems like he spends a good amount of time at the gym, but apparently not the shooting range. <laughs> because as he continues to shoot... No one shot. There's just cartoon sound effects going on. I mean, he literally could have taken his time, gotten up real close to them, like how they were with Ben. Like, where the fuck they're going? In the middle of the ocean. They could have run them over with the boat. Yeah. But they aren't thinking like that. It's a tense situation, and they want to get their drugs or diamonds. Whatever. And this is when Alex actually drags Ben under the water. We're going under. Take a deep breath. Who, luckily, even though he's been shot, has seemingly lost no blood. We do see blood later, but not right now. No worry of sharks today. But, sorry, Alex. Grandma's birthday is going to have to wait for now. Maybe my granny will save us a piece of birthday cake. Because they make their way to these caves that somehow Alex is aware of. We dive around here a lot. That's how I knew where the cave was. And even though, like we mentioned, Jason said it's a designer drug. Now that Ben and Alex are in the cave together, Ben shares that, no, 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 it's not drugs. I'm a diamond smuggler. Yeah. And what's interesting is, like, Alex even, like, initiates this conversation. Like, this isn't about drugs, is it? Please tell me this is not about drugs. No. Diamonds. I'm a low-profile courier. Obviously not low enough. Exactly, which is so weird. Unless maybe there's been a rash of drug smuggling or something in the area where maybe she assumed that since violence and boats and these guys were involved, it must be drugs. But no, Ben swears it's diamonds, which quite frankly, 
diamond smuggling, drug smuggling, eh, which... At this point, we already know he's lying, which I think it would have been more interesting if we didn't see what was in the vial when exactly. they pulled it out. My package is worth $2 million. Then we could kind of assume Ben is on like the up and up, or at least like not as bad. Well, what's weird is that, yes, we saw a vial of clear liquid in it. Mm. And we saw a man we've never met before say it's a designer drug to a woman that we're not entirely sure what his relationship is with her. And Ben says that there is a diamond worth $2 million. A diamond is worth $2 million. I ain't fitting in that vial. What's still running through my head is like, the script was confused at some point, and they meant it to be diamonds, and there's diamonds floating in that water. That's sort of what I thought. Maybe there's $2 million worth of diamonds in there. But I'm instead, I'm fairly certain that that's euphoria. We're just going to assume it's euphoria. Yeah, but I, I feel like this uh, could have been uh, filmed better if Lawyer Lifeguard was, had a little bit more experience. He could have had a little bit more mystery to this. Look at that, putting down our Parker mm, Stevenson. I know. He just has those pretty blue eyes. That's all he's got going for him. Oh, and that body. Oh, uh, yeah. And that face. Oh, man. And that hair. He's a very attractive, the handsome, The one thing man. I did not care for for Lawyer Lifeguard was the hair. Is too wavy for him? Yeah, I feel like he could have had like a more modern cut. He still had the cut, uh, the hair from Lifeguard. He, he did look better in Lifeguard with that haircut since he was 20 years younger. Yeah. But anyway. We're got off on a tangent. Yes. Anyways, our next scene. Yes, where we, things are much calmer. We have a little stud watch. I feel like our main trophy is going to go to Jason. Yes, let's but, be real, Danny. We talked about this yeah. before. Jason, we get a lot of, and he has a certain... American psycho quality that is very sexy. Your stud watch, though, I also clocked. Yeah, it is this guy. You only catch him for like a couple seconds, but it's still nice. He is a hard body, which even from the distance and the blurriness, you can tell that. He's in a pair of uh, typical board shorts, uh, bright blue, and uh, he's in the background. The background of Hobie 2 and Neely 3 meeting up. Apparently, she's been gone for a while, and they have a good relationship. Which is nice, because clearly, Mitch and Neely do not. Uh, I had to pause here real quick, because we're going to talk about Neely's swimsuit. Thank you so much, Denny. It is cut so high, like I've never seen a swimsuit like that before. It looked painful. <laughs> it honestly looked like she was wearing a very tight slingshot, ready to shoot her up into the sky. <laughs> like, I was waiting for her to fold in half. Like, it was bad. It looked... That could not have been her normal swimsuit because it was not a flattering look in the first place. But besides that, it looked it looked uncomfortable. Yeah, but like I mean, it made my groin hurt. Okay, <laughs> it was rough. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess like the wardrobe department were like thinking we need more skin. Maybe I mean the girls always have the higher cuts, but not this severely. Here, here's a supposition. Since this is the third actress playing Neely, maybe there was some sort of rush and she had to wear the previous Neely's mm. outfit. I could be wrong, but it, it I'm so happy you noticed it because yeah. it really bothered me. I mean, it's like she's wearing floss. Yeah. it's. <laughs> it, it, luckily, she doesn't turn around because I'm assuming her butt has eaten most of that suit. Anyways, back yeah. to the story. She's talking to Hobie. He's telling her he needs to move out. I just want my own place, you know? My own life. Oh, I can understand that. And this is where we see, like, her little machinations, manipulation 
up to this point, point, if we were coming in completely fresh, like let's pretend we had never seen this episode, which we hadn't before, mm. and at this point, we do not know of Mitch and Neely's friction. We only know that she's another person that exists in this world and that Mitch is unhappy that his son is considering moving out at all. But Neely's face, Neely's choice of phrasing, her actions in the scene make it clear that she's up to no good. Oh, I have an idea. Oh, I, I shouldn't say it. I shouldn't. We shouldn't even go there. Oh, my God. I was kind of hoping you'd have some ideas. <laughs> yeah, I got a good one. Oh, really? <laughs> now, forget it. It would only make things worse. I know. What? Oh, your dad would go ballistic if I got in the middle of this thing. Neely, I'm dying here. What do you got for me? No, no, no. Uh. Which, does that work on anyone? No. Exactly. She has a plan. She has a baby, young Ashley, and she has a huge apartment. And well, Hobie's got a problem. He needs a place to stay. We also find out that his situa- his idea of moving in with his buddies fell through. Exactly. It turns out that they had not cleared it with their landlord to have a third roommate. But really, they could have gotten away with it for a while. And also, like, would they be sharing a room? Like, like if you have a three-bedroom house, why wouldn't you be able to have a person in there? I'm guessing that what it is is a two-bedroom apartment and Hobie would have probably been crashing on the couch. Uh, I mean, they're 18. It's yeah. no big deal. It is pr- probably a fun situation, but mm. yeah. I need my own room. Especially <laughs> if his whole goal is to like hook up with girls. His whole goal, we know this. We were 18-year-old boys at one time. He wants to be his own man. Mm. And Neely's idea, even though we're not clued into why, and we know that it's not entirely kosher, He's into it. Hobie thinks it's a great plan. Moving in with my ex-stepmommy. Exactly. Just so he can have a place to jerk off. Like, it sounds like not the best plan, but again, we were both 18, and I can I can remember some of the crazy stuff I did trying to get away from my dad, but back to the octopus caves. <laughs> For now, where Alex has been wrapped up in a seaweed blanket like he's at a spa. Ben. Huh? What did Alex. I say? Alex wrapped up Ben in a seaweed blanket. Who did I say wrapped Just up? Just Alex wrapped up in a seaweed blanket. Oh, my bad. You're absolutely right. We finally get to see some blood here. The gun wound now clearly visible on Ben's neck or I thought clavicle. It was shul- yeah, clavicle area. Yeah, it was. It was, there was blood smear. Yeah, Alex place. needs to work, or Jason needs to work on the shot. <laughs> yeah, Alex doesn't need to work on anything. No, she's so good. She knows exactly how to in a cave underwater how to treat his injury. So he, she first like helps with hypothermia by putting seaweed on him to keep him warm. Mm-hmm. Help may not smell so great, but when you need a blanket, it is the best the ocean has to offer. And then she's gonna leave and get some like seagrass to like put in the wound yes. to stop the bleeding. He's just gonna staunch the bleeding with some random crap she finds <laughs> on the bottom of the ocean floor. But so far she seemed quite capable, so I would trust her. And she dives under, assuring Ben that he'll, she'll be back, grabs her seagrass, but she also takes a peek at Jason and Lisa's boat. They have stationed themselves very near to the caves because they're not letting Ben go alive. They're either going to wait until they come out of the caves and shoot him dead, or... High tide comes in and drowns them. Either way, win-win, Yeah. right? <laughs> she makes it back to the cave, puts the sea grass on his wound, trying to keep him warm, and now we have our next commercial break. You might take meth because of how it feels. But this is how it feels to your heart.
The only difference is you can't rebuild a heart. I need some gasoline. I'm going across the country to prove that everyone loves the taste of Pepsi One. Oh, yo, yo, yo. How's it taste? Tastes like the one to me. Taste the deliciousness. What do you think of the taste? Can't believe it's only one calorie. Probably it tastes good. Pepsi One, a secret formula, makes it taste too good to be called diet. It's very good. Pepsi One, true cold taste, one calorie. Hi, it's great to see you guys. I have a wonderful hand today. All right, I'm feeling very lucky today. Okay, whose turn is it? A grandma party has broken out of the beach. Nine old biddies all together for a day in the sun and playing cards. I'm assuming bridge, because old ladies like to play bridge, right? Hey, you're the one that hangs out with them, I guess. <laughs> but that sounds right. And when you brought it up, a beach bridge club for old biddies sounded apropos. Mm -hmm. These ladies, they're unbothered by everything. They are just clucking, as you would expect, and throwing cards down. They are basically hustling one another. But I also guess like they're supposed to be watching some grandkids or something. You mean those three mutants that are running around? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm sorry. There's only one old lady in charge of them, and that is whoever this grandma is in her mumu, I guess, and in large hat. Uh, she must be the grandmother to the chubbiest of the horrible children, Francis. Now, Francis, have fun, but be careful. Okay, remember, be careful. All right, all right, okay. Well, the three kids take an inflatable boat out onto the water. Yeah, a raft. I think they even have oars or something with it. It's yeah. crazy. Which, um, I'm sorry, my mom, whenever we went to the beach, if I went in the water, she was on the water's edge watching me to make sure I didn't drown or get pulled out by a riptide. Well, you are anyway. the baby. Oh, my God. One. I'm well, I'm assuming that with your older sister, your, your mother might have been more like my mom. Oh, no. Me. She was like, with that, too? She, my mom was the biggest worrywart in the world. My dad was just like so nonchalant, but like if we were doing anything remotely dangerous, she was there watching us like a hawk. We went out too far. Come in. Come in. No, not my mom. When, oh, God. When she went to the beach. She had a visor on and she was tanning. <laughs> and whatever you wanted to do, you could do it. In fact, I almost drowned a couple times, but those are stories for another day. We're back to the, this dysfunctional family on Baywatch. Yes, the kids are out. And Grandma is kind of watching. Hey, kids, not too far out. They'll be okay. For a moment, when we first saw this, I was like, oh, this is Alex's grandma's birthday party. Oh. No, these are actually unrelated old ladies. Nope. And the grandma that's supposed to be watching Francis and his other terrible friends, she's not really paying attention. She is too bit. She's into her card game where she's winning. As I would be, too, because I love my games, as you know. You are the game master, Danny. There's a right way and a wrong way and a con way. <laughs> Anyways, the boat flips over. And immediately the grannies go into action. They overreact like you would expect a big group of grandmas might. They're screaming. They're hollering. They're yelling out. Two actually old ladies volunteer to go in after them. And they jump right in. And what happens? They're immediately in trouble themselves. Yes. 
but it's okay because running onto the scene is Hobie too. Yes, shirtless, looking quite good, young man. Mr. Jeremy Jackson. Yes. Still in his baby phase. Not just Hobie too, but also some other unnamed stud in his hot red shorts is there to the rescue. Okay, ladies, come down, come down. Watch your step, watch your step. So they pull the old ladies out that started struggling in the water. By the way, their struggling was intense struggling. The, the amount of mewling from them, we don't normally get that much from victims that have drowned or like are really, like they are putting a lot of effort into their struggle. Meanwhile, the shithole kids walk up on the beach. They were just playing. Yes, they were just causing problems. They just wanted to drive the ladies nuts mm. and it worked. Meanwhile, they could have killed two people. But it's something me and my sister would have done to my grandma. <laughs> oh, Denny, I am a grandma boy, and I, my grandma is the most important person in my life. And I feel that way about other grandmas, too, even shitty ones. How dare you, Denny? But let me tell you about my grandma. All right. She was one to scare the shit out of you um, as a joke. She would laugh at anyone getting hurt. She was that kind of grandma. So, so that's where we get it from. So wait a minute. In this situation, she would probably be faking that she was drowning oh, and scaring absolutely. you guys. Okay, okay. All is forgiven. <laughs> well, even at the beach, all is forgiven because grandma gives a very short talking to to Francis and you know that he's going to be doing more nonsense soon. Francis, was this a joke? Well, it wasn't the least bit funny or cute. And I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. But who cares about those losers? We're we back to Jason. No. No, we're not there yet what? because Hobie is having a conversation with the unnamed stud. Oh. Yeah. Where we find out that, hey, things are going to move forward. I can't move with my friends. But Neely is, is there. And even this guy, who we've never seen before and will probably never see again, knows that's not a good idea. At least not without talking to his father first. Mm. Come on, Hobie, get a clue. Yeah. Anyway, now we're back now to Jason. Now we're back to Jason. Yes, where Lisa is in... A, the same shitty mood as before, which, quite frankly, if I was stuck on a boat all day long waiting to kill some jackass, <laughs> I think I might be a little annoyed, too. How much longer? Yeah, I'd be wanting to take that boat, like, down to Mexico to get out of the situation we're in. Exactly. Who cares if these people drive? Let's just get the hell out of here. But Jason, no, he's the opposite. He's happy to sit and wait. Because high tide's in 20 minutes. Exactly. And so he knows that the situation is dire. Plus, he shot this guy. It can only be a matter of time. I'm getting real tired of waiting. Back in the cave, though, Alex is trying to keep Ben talking, keep him awake, because now he's going into shock. Yeah. Wake up. You don't want to talk. All right, I'll talk. I'll talk. Okay. I was born in St. Louis, Missouri. My family always said Missouri. They never said Missouri. Now, I don't know why. It was some kind of family dysfunction. So she starts just talking about herself, and this is where we find out that she also has a photographic memory. Which better come up again, or, or better have come up before, because that is the sort of interesting character detail that could lead to a fun story. Back to Silk Stockings. Please. Since she played... Oh, did she play the main character? One of two. Yeah. So the girl, the very first episode... They hinted that she had some sort of like brain issue and then it never came up again. So it, this photographic memory just might be another fucking Silk Stockings teaser. We, we need to talk to Tom. <laughs> some sort of crossover. But anyway, she's talking because he can't talk because he really is in such bad shape that he cannot put any words together. He's so bad off that he slips into a montage. Our only real montage of this episode. A hallucination montage. I, 
of his savior, Alex. Or a vision of death. Because oh, yes, she is wearing all black. Yes, that's what we see. His whole vision, There are there's no other people in it at all. It is slow motion shots of the beach, of waves rolling in. And Alex just in this black dress with like, was it a shawl or? Like a cape of some yeah. kind, yeah. But it, I think it may have even had a hood or something because there was clearly death imagery going there. Mm. But watching the German DVD, we learned last time that we can't always rely on the music, especially now that I have the book that will be a third source. But this one was the original song. It was a song called Letter of Fate by Goldie. Which is good. There's, there's fun MTV editing throughout this montage, and it fades away. I have to stop here Please. because I have a, I just had an idea of what it made, what made the scene so much better. Oh, cool! Let's jump, jump into that. So instead of Alex having like the black dress and like being the harbinger of death, it should have been Jason as the harbinger of death, and Alex in all white as his savior. Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that quite a bit because. Honestly, us explaining that this is a vision of him having a brush with death is so much more understandable than if you just watch the episode. <laughs> there is no communication of what he's going through at this time, and it's never referred to again. It was just padding, probably. Well, we needed a montage. <laughs> Word of Hobie moving in with Neely has finally reached Mitch. And he is pissed. What the hell are you doing? Rightfully pissed, because here... He has decided to confront Neely head on. She's showering outdoors, as you do as you're leaving the beach. And really, this scene made me a little uncomfortable. Mitch responds a little too aggressively mm. to a woman, at least seemingly out of nowhere. Again, we don't know their background. Now that we do know a little bit more, maybe it's okay. But still, not good optics. But Neely plays innocent, and she is unbothered by anything that Mitch is saying. But clearly in a shitty fashion. Mm. She knows what she's doing, mm. and she's happy that she's gotten under Mitch's skin. She even says as much. She's happy that he's sad, because apparently he made her sad. And in Neely's world, I guess, do unto others. Are you hurt? I'm so sorry in here. I thought we were friends. You can shove that. And besides, she's really just looking to cause chaos, <laughs> which is working. And the next scene... Hobie is waiting for Mitch as he's jogging along the beach. And their relationship has always been close, at least as far as we've seen. So you would think that a one-on-one -on -one talk with them would be fine. It would solve all problems. They could get through anything. Well, things are different now. Hobie is no longer a little boy, and Mitch is going to have to deal with that. Hobie, you're my son. I'm your father. You cannot live with my ex-wife. He's completely correct. And this is when they explicitly state that him and Neely were at one time married. Mm. And uh, I actually knew that. Well, Already. But it was still weird to hear because that it all must happen in a very compressed amount of time. Right. But it's no wonder that there's so much acrimony between the two when you have that sort of entanglement mm. that clearly didn't end well. Yeah. And Hobie capitulates that situations can be complicated. Things are tough, but he doesn't see anything wrong here. He isn't angry at Neely. His father is. Mitch, you make your own decisions. I'm going to make my own. That's what being your own man is supposed to mean, right? And Mitch tries to reason with him. He's like, look, it was a mistake for me to marry her. And there's something not quite right about her. He, 
I have a problem. Mitch is, makes a lot of mistakes in this episode, with Hobie specifically. And in here, he's clearly holding something back about Neely. You don't even know her. What's that supposed to mean? Well, she does things, she says things, and she means something else. Hobie is his son, his only son, his only family, really, that he has a touchstone with, at least on an everyday basis. He's terrified he's going to lose that closeness. Just be honest with your goddamn son. Mm -hmm. If she is a psychopath, tell him that. If she has done something untoward, tell him that. He is man enough now to deal with it, and he deserves to know. I can understand, like, if this was his ex-wife, Hobie's mom. Right. Not wanting to shit talk her. But this is just some random woman you married for a brief amount of time. He has a beautiful relationship with Hobie's mother. This is a different situation. And Hobie leaves. We're going to have some real serious problems to deal with. Leaving Mitch all by himself, arms thrown to the sky. Maybe God can help Mitch. <laughs> But things are only slightly less fraught at the octopus caves as there's only just a few inches of air left. There's enough for basically your neck and head to be above water. Yeah. And Alex just is like, look, we got to get the fuck out of this cave. Like, it's either we go out there and die or we stay in here and die. Yeah. Ben's vision of death was temporary. He's awake now. And Alex is sure that, well, there's no other choice we got to swim out of here. This cave is going to fill up with water any minute. We have got to get out of here. Look at me. You are going to do this. Which they do. Yeah. We're on the boat above, though. Lisa's still trying to convince Jason to leave. Bitching. Bitching, bitching. Yeah. And Jason bites right back. They are not a healthy couple. Are you listening to me? I'm very aware of our situation. Keep your mouth shut, or I'll handle this alone. Understand? basically threatens her like look you saw what i just did ben you don't mean that much to me and since he took the first shot at ben he has not let go of that gun once he's holding on to it for dear life so we get shots of uh alex and ben underwater and they found like these hollow plants that they're acting as like air tubes yes but they don't look like plants. They look like actual like rubber tubes. I don't know what survival school Alex went to <laughs> or what they teach at Silk Stockings or, or what she may have learned in her past otherwise, but she is a commando. Yes, she finds a patch of seaweed that has these tubes that both she and Ben can use to get air from the top. And they sort of use the seaweed as cover. I mean, James Bond would blush at a scene like this. It does give us something to think about, though, during our next commercial break. But toys shouldn't be a battle. eToys.com lets you shop online for thousands of toys. eToys.com, we bring the toy store to you. I love the smell of Play-Doh in the morning. When the truth is exposed, I slept with Kelly. Will relationships be shattered? You destroyed something precious to me. 90210, an all-new episode, Fox Wednesday. Oh my god, it does exist. On May 7th. What? Ride of your life. 
The Mummy, rated PG-13, starts May 7th. Using their seaweed bed as cover, Alex and Ben make their way to the back of the boat. Now, Jason and Lisa, they miss all this because they are staring intently from the front of the boat at the caves. However, this gives Alex enough time to separate the fuel line on the engine, which is frankly crazy. This boat needs maintenance. If you can remove the fuel line that easy, (laughs) that's a problem. But she uses this opportunity now that she's caused a problem for the boat. She creates enough of a disturbance on the water that Jason and Lisa can't help but notice and run to the back of the boat. They realize that they probably have come out of the cave at that point, but they have a fish finder. Turn on the fish finder. So they're going to turn that on, try and locate where Alex and Ben are. You don't remember that part? Turn on the fish finder. I don't remember that at all. Oh yeah, they they tried to turn on the fish finder, but it wouldn't turn on. Come on! It won't come on. Oh, really? Yes. Is that does the fish finder need the engine to work? In I think to... it just needed power. And I, from what I, from when I first saw the scene, I thought like Alex, cut, like the tube was like some sort of power line. No, because fluid comes I out. I know, of it when... but I guess for whatever reason, the fish finder. I'm telling you, that's what happens. I believe you. I believe you. You seem skeptical. Turn on the fish finder. It's just weird because I did watch it twice. It's weird for me not to notice them. But good. That means you're paying better attention, which is awesome. None of this really matters, though, because the engine won't turn over. They can't get anywhere one way or the other. And Alex and Ben are able to sneak on the boat. Well, first, Jason and Lisa dive into the water because they realize that they're around. You're absolutely right. They have not made their presence exactly known. They... Jason and Lisa know that Ben and Alex must be out. They're not sure where, so hell, let's jump into the water after them. You're absolutely right. Which is freaking stupid because now Alex and Ben just climb onto the boat. Exactly. It's it's a comedy of errors. They're they're <laughs> able to it's like a Scooby-Doo thing running around a hallway. Not it, criminal criminal masterminds these two. Or Ben. Let's <laughs> yeah, these are not the the brightest bulbs, but it, it doesn't matter. They're on an empty boat now. But not for long, because supposedly Ben has reconnected the fuel line and Alex is ready to peel off. But the boat won't start. The boat won't start. The boat won't start. And who appears? Jason. Right out of the water. Jason backhands Alex right in the face. She gets a lot of abuse in this episode. But Ben, who Jason ignored for some reason on the back of the boat, grabs Jason, tosses him off. (laughs) Then uh, Lisa gets on the boat and kicks Alex. (laughs) Then Lisa gets on the boat, kicks Alex, and slams her head onto like the dashboard of the boat. Yeah, smashing her head right there. And then gets some sort of like rope and starts to choke Alex. Poor Alex. Yeah. I mean, she is all but, reason to be pissed. But she's apparently a naval seal because I, I don't know what maneuver she does, but like she gets Lisa off her back. Yeah. And she knocks her off the boat, which I get. I mean, we saw, I guess, a little hint of this earlier when she was able to take out the car thief with no problem whatsoever. I guess that was sort of a hint of her capabilities. Yeah. Although Lisa uh, is not one to be deterred so fast because she grabs onto a rope that's on the side of the boat. Which maybe was the same line that Alex was being choked with. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But yes, she's clinging to the side of the boat as they are driving away. They did manage to get the boat turned on and they start to drive away. Lisa is hanging on. You think, you know, she's going to get herself back up, but nope, she just lets go. It's very weird. Yeah. It, it, it feels like there was maybe something cut or just maybe they had an idea and they, they got rid of it. But it doesn't matter because Alex 
Ben, they're on the boat. Everything's fine. She's going to radio for help. Oh, no, she's not. Why is that, Denny? Ben pulls out a gun. He is recovered enough for the double cross. Mm. He points the gun at her, retrieves the diamonds or drugs, whatever they are, and laughs at Alex. How dare you think, how, how, how stupid are you to think that this is going to work out for you? Well, not as stupid as he is because Alex then just guns the boat. You know, I can usually judge people pretty well. I gotta admit, you're good. But you know what? I'm better. Knocking him overboard. Spilling right into the water, yes. All by himself. Alex is over Over it. it. (laughs) So over it that she puts the boat into full throttle and she peels away and then spins the boat around, going directly towards Ben. I thought she was gonna run him over. Well, so did he. He's terrified in the water and freaking out. Well, she turns away at the last moment, tossing a life vest that smacks him in the face and leaves him to float. She is a stone cold bitch, which quite frankly, she should be at this point. Fuck those three assholes. Like, if it was me, I probably would have run him over. But I think throwing him a life vest is like a little bit more salty. I think so, too, because now you have to wait for somebody to come help you. Mm-hmm. Good for Alex. <laughs> She's quickly rising to the top. And she calls in on the radio, all the shit that's gone down, and she's Over out. It. Yep. Well, we now transition to Mitch, sad dad Mitch, who is waiting at home for his son with a single empty beer bottle in front of him on the table. And yes, a very sad scene, and not just because of Mitch's depression and the change of life and all of this, but also because of Hobie's ill-fitting bowling shirt. Hey. I just came by to get the uh, rest of my stuff. That he wears as he's coming in. The sad style, I'm happy, is gone. And he joins his father on the sofa, and Mitch starts having what he expects to be a typical heart-to-heart. I mean, we're almost at the end of the episode. Everything's going to wrap up just fine, right? I mean, he does apologize. He does. But Hobie is quick to acknowledge, I have nothing to apologize for. Everything I said, I believe, I feel is honest, you're the one with the problem here. And he's correct. It's actually a really nice interaction between the two and surprisingly mature from Hobie. And they end on good terms. Like Mitch realizes Hobie's going to move out. And there's nothing he he can do about it. And he even helps him pack up his stuff. I know it's selfish. I just, uh, that's what I'm thinking. I love you, Hobie. I know. I love you too. Yeah, but first they share a hug and we get to see David Hasselhoff's face in close up over Jeremy Jackson's shoulder and he's fighting back the tears and and as somebody with dad issues of his own like that got me. I wonder if like this is like gearing up for Jeremy Jeremy Jackson to leave the show. I think if anything maybe they were opening the door for the possibility. Because I would hope by this point, and I need to read that chapter of the book again, that they had already determined what they were doing next season. Yeah, they were going to Hawaii. Well, I know. However, the decision came down to the wire oh. in reality. It was either going to be Australia or Hawaii. We'll definitely get into the details someday. But you would hope we're at episode 19 of 22 before the show overhauls itself entirely. You know what? They must know. Mm-hmm. And that's probably exactly yeah. what's happening. Which is good, I guess that Mitch just decides to help him 
pack up his things because there's probably a lot. I wonder if this is Jeremy Jackson's last episode. We, we can, should look that up. We will okay. during this final commercial break. Okay. Welcome to Taco Night at the Andersons. Hey, it's a steep up marshmallow man. Taco Night is also movie night at the Andersons. Bring home the new Grande meals and make tonight Taco Night. Choose any ten tacos or bean burritos plus a nachos bel grande plus a Mexican pizza, all for just nine ninety nine, and get a coupon for a free blockbuster movie rental. Wow, let's make s'mores. Until next time. Your choice, your show, your stars. Nickelodeon's Kids' Choice 99 is coming with live appearances by Drew Barrymore, David Spade, David Arquette, Chris Tucker, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Jessica Biel, Keenan Thompson, Kel Mitchell, Ben Savage, Mace, Rebecca Romaine Stamos, Babyface, Rachel Lee Cook, Amanda Bynes, Caroline Ray, Randy Macho Man Savage, plus musical performances from TLC, Britney Spears, NSYNC, and your host, Rosie O'Donnell. Catch Kids Choice 99 live next Saturday at 8, 7 central in SNCC on the only network that gives you your very own awards show, Nickelodeon. Hey, it's Larry. I'll cut to the chase here. I'm taking Saturday night. Ah, don't hang up. I've joined the workforce. I had this interview at Juicetown today. Do you like fruit, Larry? Yes, I do, sir. Yes, I do. I get to wear a banana suit. You're shaking hands. You're schmoozing, I think is the entertainment word for it. I'm not Larry. I'm banana... Mom! I'm on the phone. She's dialing. What do you say? Saturday night? No. Beth, how about you? No way. Okay. It saves you time. Another reason to use three-way calling. Just click over, dial the second number, and click back. The phone is, once again, your friend. Alex has smartly swapped her bike this time for a car, well, an SUV, in an effort to make up for lost time with that drug diamond smuggler and to try to get to her grandmother's birthday. But it's just it's just a little too late. Seconds late. Because what happens as Alex pulls up? She sees her grandma drive off with her boyfriend on her motorcycle. Yep, they're on their way to Vegas. Hey, Grant! <sighs> oh, well, Alex, I'm sure she knows oh, you care. Oh, shucks. Yeah. And, and we, we kind of stay with Alex's face for a little while. She has a gift ready to go, and she's frustrated. <sighs> right, rightfully so. And, and she probably will do something about it. Yeah, she spent her whole day helping some asshole who pulled a gun out on her. Yeah, exactly. And she didn't even get to see your grandma. Mm. That's bad news. But she's determined to wring some fun out of this day, and she does so by crashing Mitch's place. Bottle of wine in hand. Would you like some wine? Because I certainly would. It's hard to turn away a guest that shows up with gifts, let alone some booze. And Mitch certainly doesn't. He's, he's down about his son, about aging, about life changing, but he still needs somebody to drink with. Yeah, yeah he's sad he's going to never see Hobie again. But Alex says, you know, even though he moved out, he's still going to need his father. Yeah, well, it sucks. Of course, because they share stories. Well, he asks her about what, how she moved out of the house and all that sort of thing. After, by the way, we can't miss this. She describes the day that she had at Baywatch. He doesn't acknowledge it at all. Oh, yeah. Which shows you that that's just a typical day. Right. Well, let's see. I uh, jumped off a cliff. I got shot at. And then I punched out a woman. Ooh. How was your day? You only took down three criminals? Come on, Alex. You went to the octopus caves and saw no octopus? Who cares? <laughs> no big deal. But back to the whole Hobie's going to need him still. Who walks in the door? Hey, Dad. Hobie, and what does he need? $20. I don't know where the hell $20 is going to go. I guess you could probably fill up your tank in 99 for 20 
bucks, but it seems like Mitch can count on being that needed father figure, at least for a little bit longer. For an open wallet. Well, that's what daddies are for sometimes, right? Sugar daddies. And Hobie makes his exit. Alex and Mitch clink their glasses. Cheers. Cheers. Sharing a cheers, and we fade to the end of our episode. Baywatch, season nine, episode 19, Double Jeopardy. Denny, what did you think? I did not care for this episode. Okay, tell us why. This is like, I don't know. It just seemed so, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Slight? Typical. Oh. In just, what way? Just, you, you're typical. It's season nine, sorry. It's season nine of Baywatch. It just seems just like a regular, typical Baywatch day, which seems to be what Mitch thought too when Alex was recanting her day. So, I don't know, like, I feel like there's more interesting stuff previously with, like, Neely. Okay. But since you didn't really get to see much of it, it just didn't do much for me. As you're saying that, like, I liked the episode, clearly. And even as you're talking, like, I kind of think that's kind of neat. That maybe, maybe there's a reason there's a typical feeling for this. Not just because they have a formula that they follow, but we're nine seasons in. Hell, we're almost to ten Maybe this is just sort of how things go. But for me, the thing that resonated was Hovey and Mitch. Mm. Again, I have a whole raft of father issues uh, that I have dealt with, uh, luckily here into my 40s, but they will always linger with me. I think a lot of guys feel that same way. You luckily seem to have a pretty healthy relationship with your dad, yeah. so you don't have those sorts no. of things, which is good. But for those of us that do, I think that the it, it, this episode could resonate. When I was younger, I would have only seen Hobie's side, and I could probably, for the first time, use this as a reason to like Hobie. You know, we have something in common. But now that I'm considerably older, I can now see it from both of their perspectives. I can remember what it's like to be young and the blah, 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 blah. But now, as an older person, I can feel like, wow, that does suck. What is your everyday? A wonderful part of your everyday is an entirely... In, an entirely separate entity of its own that has its own animus, its own thought, its own concerns, its own interests outside of you. And I'm sure that is an earth-shattering thing for any parent, but especially Mitch Buchanan, who everything always works out for him. This is something he isn't able to talk his way out of because there is no talking. There is nothing to be said. It's inevitable. And I think that it was a nice dose of reality in this show that we, we don't get all that often. Now that you say that, like, it does kind of, like, resonate something with me. Okay. With, you know, Jeremy Jackson has his mind set. He thinks he knows what's right. Mitch, being more experienced, try, tries to impart on wisdom, like, more in a forceful manner than right. he should have. But it kind of, like, brings me back to when I was younger and I wanted to get a job at, like, 16. Like, I was gung-ho. I wanted to work. I wanted to make my own money. My dad's like, don't do it. Just, you know focus on school worry and like just enjoy the time that you don't have to work and I'm like that's stupid I want to make my own money I know what I want blah 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 and like now that I'm like nearing for I'm like what the fuck was I thinking working sucks and Mitch makes that same argument to Hobie that yeah you want to be on your own but you don't understand everything that comes with it mm. yes you will receive freedom Let's use giant quotation marks around freedom. That freedom is contingent on so many yes. things that only you are responsible 
responsible for as an adult. Mm. And that's great. Well, that's good. See, that's the thing that you're supposed to get out of the episodes yeah. is, is reminding you of those universal things that time moves on, that life is fleeting and that you need to appreciate what you have when you have it because you don't know how good you got it till it's gone. And that's something that we don't get to see very often in Baywatch. And uh, I, again, admittedly, I've got this personal thing. I think every man has that memory. I'm, I'll just be specific to men, but like with their fathers, with these sorts of issues where if you have a good dad, a dad that cares about you at all, he will share that with you at some point that you need to love where you are now yeah. because it's only going to get so much more complicated. And worse. Like just <laughs> growing up just... All of it just sucks. <laughs> if there's any kids listening, fucking listen to me and just enjoy not working and being a fucking kid. If there are any kids listening to this, I would be shocked, but they would be pretty cool kids, I guess, <laughs> if they're into the 90s. But um, besides all the Mitch stuff, and, and I specifically, David Hasselhoff, I think, did really well with the nonverbal acting in this episode. And I... I I've had a problem with Mitch forever since I was a kid. He was not my favorite part of Baywatch. But at this point in my life and seeing him in this way, I'm really coming around to the character quite a bit. And Hasselhoff has grown on me immensely in general. I mean, I don't just love him from Knight Rider now. But, um, but besides all that, Alex is rad. I love her. I was not a huge Silk Stockings watcher, but I did watch it on occasion. It was a sexy show. I'm not going to pass up some softcore. And that co-lead, the guy that she was with, is super hot. But she was a badass there, too. She has, like, this flinty edge where she always seems kind of irritated. <laughs> like, she's just ready to yell at you at any point. But she doesn't. No. She's a mild-mannered, calm person. And when these crazy things happen to her... She deals with it directly and moves on. <laughs> and that's so admirable. And it's not something you see with characters in this show. There's there's hemming and hawing and there's blah, blah, blah. No, she cuts right through it and moves on. Well, they needed a, another Stephanie Holden type character. I would have killed to see Stephanie and Alex together because I can see them like just being disgusted by everyone else around them. They like, should have their own spinoff. There's still time. <laughs> There's still time. But what lesson did we learn from this episode, Danny? Don't drive like a dick if you're on a motorcycle. That's a great lesson. That's a wonderful lesson. I've learned, get your shit straight. Are they diamonds or drugs? <laughs> One, well, neither are going to be that great going up your nose, but one's going to cause you problems. So, uh, well, well. It's better to know. But beyond that, the other lesson I think you said yeah. is to cherish the time that you have as you have it. Live every day. So I Everyone has to grow up, but just don't try to grow up too fast. Yes. And trust those that have lived life before you. Because while they might have their own intentions, they also have some experiences that they could share. So. Absolutely. So what would you rate this episode then, Danny? Originally, I was going to rate it like a four, but like after this conversation, you kind of like turned me around. Mm. I'm going to give it a six. Six what? Six seaweed, seagrass bullet wound bandage out of ten. I would be so pissed if somebody shoved seagrass into an open wound. When you're about body. to die, like just do whatever you need to do to save my life. If I'm about to die and of the lifeguards that I could be with, I'm with Alex instead of Cody. 
God's getting a talking to when I get across <laughs> those pearly gates. But yes, yeah, so that was that was uh, this episode, Baywatch season nine, episode nineteen, Double Jeopardy. And uh, now we are going to pick our next episode to watch. And Denny, how do we do that? Uh, what do I always fucking call it? Uh, the Magic Beach Bingo Ball Spinner. Okay, cool. Hold on, having issues, technical difficulty. Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness, Christ. <laughs> there we go, okay. Oh, finally we got it. Alright, we have Season 5, Episode 8. Baywatch, Season 5, Episode 8. K-Gas, The Groove Yard of Solid Gold. What? As a promotion for his new radio station, a DJ offers a $100,000 prize to anyone who can figure out clues to a pirate riddle. Matt and CJ get caught up in the madness to win, while Mitch and the other lifeguards have their hands full rescuing people who will do anything to win. Oh. And you may have noticed the keywords there, Matt and CJ. Yes. Two of our favorites. David Charver will be looking good, we know, and Pam will be tons of fun. So I'm looking forward to K-Gas, the groove yard of solid gold. I'm assuming that K-Gas is the, or the call sign for the radio station. Yeah, right. But I guess we'll find out on our next episode. You've been listening to Hot Red Shorts, a gay watch of Baywatch. You can follow us or find us or yell at us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Hot Red Shorts. You can visit us at HotRedShorts.com, where I make trading cards for each and every single episode, including this one. Normally, we'll have at least the stud watch and a couple more. We'll see what happens here. We're going to show you Neely's supercut swimsuit. Absolutely. It's ridiculous. God, poor woman. But that's another day. For now... Oh, thanks for listening. <laughs>